Show. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yonk, huh? I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I did old Dustin Pole over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. Here we go. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270TheFan. Taking your calls at 270 1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. You're going to need a bigger boat. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. May 15th, 2019, Year of Our Lord edition. I am Tim Graham from The Athletic here uh, with my co-host, Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein of uh, Bronstein Consolidated. He's here. Uh, He's handling things uh, on Periscope for us. You can see a live feed or a old feed, a taped feed. It's not tape. What is it? A recorded feed. Archived on the internet. Archived on the internet. All previous Tim Graham shows. You can see on Periscope. We tweet it out every week. Check it out. On the deep web. The dark web. Bobby Rosati diddle the knobs. What was that? That's my little sound effect. Just a beep? Yeah. It means bad news. A lot of swearing coming up. Okay. <laughs> just kidding. I just like that sound. And that. That's a good. All right. You like that one? That's good. That's fine. <laughs> Give the man a new screen, and all of a sudden he's. I know. Can you do me a favor, going. Bobby, yes. and get Russ Brandon on the phone for me? Oh, sure, absolutely. <laughs> it's easy. Where uh, he's somewhere. Sorry, Russ Brandon is not available. Oh, word shoot. has it he's trying to get back into league. Really, you have a scoop for us, Mike Rodak? Not directly, but I'm just saying that's the word. word. John Moore of the Associated Press is here. I don't want to let him sit here and rot while we have our fun. John, okay. how are you? I'm good. Thank Sabres you. have a new coach. Do they now? What do you think of this? I think it's a good I, – I, I think it's an encouraging move. In what way? We've been talking about this for quite some time, but I just think that it's a bit, it's a bit out of the box. I liked what I heard on the conference call today. I liked that, that he actually went out and looked into Buffalo. He's not familiar with Buffalo. I think that was the most impressive thing that came out of the conference call with uh, with uh, Kruger. Uh, he actually did some reconnaissance work, spent some time in bars, hang, hanging with Sabres fans, um, went to one bar per period. I think he watched two playoff games here in Buffalo. Six different bars, he uh, said. Right. Did he name them? Uh, he did not. I wanted to ask him that, but I couldn't get He said get it was Allentown and Elmwood is where he was. Oh. And he said he enjoyed looking at the architecture of the city. Well, this was off the – you got this off the radio show. The this other – I'm talking yeah. about a conference call. Gotcha. Had, so I never had a chance to ask. Yep. So hopefully he probably went to Gabriel's Gate. Um, good spot. Could, yeah. There you go. Could have but, but, no, but the fact that he got a feel for the city. He talked to – he talked to, he's from Winnipeg, spent a whole bunch of time in Europe, said he's had a lot of t- – uh, he, he likes small towns. He's not a big city guy. And he liked the feel, the vibe of, uh, of Buffalo. So I like the fact that at least he looked into – this was two weeks before he got the job. You know, people were into Tim Murray for a lot less uh, sure. proactiveness than this. You know, people – you'd see Tim Murray out. 
yes, he might be leaning against a wall, stuffing <sighs> a Lloyd's taco, you know, halfway into his mouth and the rest of it going down the front of him. But yeah, you'd see Tim Murray out at, out in Elmwood and uh, out in the town. Yeah, but I think you'd see Tim Murray out on any town. Yes, you would. As opposed to what I like about the fact is like when, when you're looking and he wasn't really committed to coming back into coaching. He was more looking into an executive's job. He's got a past past ties with Bottrell, and uh, you know, I like the fact that he checked into the town that he that he wants to get a feel for the place. And I feel that as much time as Phil Housley spent in Buffalo during his playing days, I don't know if Phil was ever invested into Buffalo. I think he, it just felt like he had one foot out the door and just never really got a feel for what Buffalo was. A lot of the stuff that he said I felt about Buffalo was scripted. Do you think that's because of his wife's commitment to Minnesota I think and her that, political career? I think that might be part of it. And that's through no no fault of his own, but I think that might have been part of it. Yeah, we're going to have, uh, hopefully, uh, Thomas Vanek. He's going to join us on the show. And the reason we want to talk to Thomas Vanek is that uh, he has experience with Ralph Kruger on the international stage and uh, has worked with him quite a bit. Uh, Ralph Kruger was involved in Austrian hockey as uh, Thomas Vanek was growing up, uh, had watched Thomas Vanek since he was five years old, and uh, had a chance to speak with Thomas yesterday in which uh, this was before Kruger was hired, and I asked him what he thought about Kruger and uh, Thomas uh, telling me that he wishes that uh, Austria would have had Kruger as its national coach instead of uh, Kruger uh, coaching Switzerland and uh, where else, John? All the different stops that he's had. You stopped me. Europe. He Yo, was, you know, the team Austria, in the World well, Cup. Well, he, he did Team Europe Canada. right? W- w- for the uh, World Cup for the World Cup of Hockey in 2016, um, and he was a special advisor to Mike Babcock on te- on the the Sochi uh, at the Sochi Games when te- Team Canada won the the gold medal in 2014. Right? That was 2014. Nope. He was a scout for Carolina, associate head coach in Edmonton before getting that job for one year. I actually spoke with Lindy Ruff today and had a chance to talk to Lindy, uh, who was uh, a coach on the Canadian team and in Sochi in 2014. So he did have uh, some dealings with Paul Kr- uh, Paul Kruger. Now here I go. Yeah, Paul Kruger, the the pass Defensive rusher end. in the NFL. Uh, and I've also uh, slipped in a Freddie actually once or twice. I did the things that come up. I mean, I, look, I've had to say it a bunch of times. Whether I'm on the podcast with Joe Biscalia and Matthew Fairburn. Uh, whether I've been on this show, I am fantastic when it comes to butchering a name. Me too. And I've gotten that way. It's like in the last year or so, I'm just starting to well, we get old enough, my names. And I think Fairburn might have passed this along. One of your thoughts that you get old enough, and all the names and the faces just start to blend in. Yeah, I remember talking to my grandmother. This is the anecdote I think that he's mentioning. I and this is what reminds me of what I'm going through now uh, is I remember watching uh, television with my grandmother. And uh, this is, I'm probably 15 years old or so. And I said, uh, Grandma, I think uh, so-and-so, that looks like someone, you know, somebody or others, like another actor or another actress. And, uh, and she would say, Tim, when it, you get to my age, everybody looks like somebody. Like there's no, you've seen all the facial, you know, uh, arrangements right. that you right. could see. Like you're going to, it's going to have to be a circus freak for <laughs> you to say, you know, I've never seen anything that looked like that before. Well, among the dumbest mistakes I've made on, on an AP, on AP, on the AP wire was I just, Drew Stafford just signed his four-year contract with the Sabres back uh, in whatever year that was. The Bills are hosting Detroit in the preseason, the, the <laughs> preseason finale. And so... Matt Stafford never made an appearance in the game, nor in my copy. It, he was Drew Stafford who sat on the bench. Oh, boy. Mm. Well, 
Uh, not that I don't know that he saves his clippings if he has a scrapbook, but Brian Campbell, when he was called up to play and made his NHL debut, the banner story, well, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just like heralding, here comes Brian Campbell. It was just a story about Sabres call up, you know, right. such and such defenseman. He's going to make his debut. And uh, it was uh, Jason Campbell who was at the time a college quarterback. Right. He wasn't even in the right. NFL yet. So Jason Campbell, and I saw him in the in the dressing room later that day, and I apologized, and he said, I don't care. I'm just happy to be in the NHL. And as long as I play tonight, I don't care what. Sure. You know, whether I'm Jason Campbell in the. Soupy. Soupy. It's the easy. Just call him Soupy. So I'm speaking with uh, Lindy Ruff today, speaking of uh, former Sabres, and asked him what he thought of the hire of uh, Ralph Kruger. I almost just said Paul Kruger again. Of the uh, of the Ralph Kruger hire. Uh, you know, I've worked with Ralph. Uh, I worked with Ralph. He was like our free scout coach at the Olympics in, uh, in 14. Uh, you know, knew a lot about the European teams. Ralph's, Ralph's a good man. I, I like working with him. You know, I think time will tell. I, you know, I think... Uh, uh, being out of it for a while, uh, it may take uh, a little bit to get in the, in the group, uh, would be my only concern. But, you know, he's a very detailed guy, knows the game really well. Um, so, to, you know, I think it'll, you know, once he gets in the driver's seat, I think it may take a bit, but I think he could get, uh, he's, uh, he's more than capable of getting the job done. Lindy Ruff being diplomatic. Uh, and uh, he has worked with him. Uh, they involved in skull sessions yep. on that uh, Team Canada coaching staff and uh, him being the advanced scout for all the different games, uh, whoever you're going to play in, in, the, uh, in that tournament, and Canada did pretty well. Um, but uh, come to learn also, Lindy Ruff being diplomatic, because I learned today that Lindy Ruff interviewed for that Sabres job. A lot of people were wondering if he did or if he would or if he was interesting, interested in becoming an NHL head coach again because I had heard from a lot of sources right. close to Lindy that he was enjoying life as an assistant coach. Heard the same thing. That he, did, he enjoyed not having to deal with the media. He could show up at the rink every day, do his instruction, and work with the team. And when it was time to go home, he could go home. The thing being is that home is Western New York for Lindy Ruff, so that's a little bit different. He still lives here, right. uh, still has a place, uh, and his kids are around, I believe. Uh, some of them are, anyway. Uh, so Lindy Ruff interviewed for the job, and uh, as I've come to learn, was told that he was not the right fit. He wanted the job. The Sabres did not want to hire him. So I know there are a lot of Lindy Ruff advocates out there, people who wanted Lindy Ruff to come back as the head coach of the Buffalo Sabres, that he might be the tonic for what this team uh, is uh, is ailing this team because of uh, whether it be the belief that the Sabres are too young and uh, dry or uh, too pig-headed or not willing to work with certain coaches. Right. Or, uh, John, you're around this team way more than any of us are in this room, but Lindy Ruff, a bit of an authoritarian, uh, a guy who will get your attention one way or another. Right. Uh, not the easiest guy to get along with, as players who have played for him while they're playing with him, some of them have come to hate him. But after they've, they've played for Lindy Ruff and have moved on to their second or third or fifth coach, realized what Lindy Ruff meant to them and their development and, right. and what he was. So, um 
yeah, I think that it, your thoughts on if if Lindy Ruff would have been the coach. I like the concept of Lindy Ruff, but I don't. What I don't know about about Lindy Ruff, it, it, it's that whole coming back home again thing. Does that work? They tried that, and this is a team that's now tried that with Ted Nolan. They actually tried that with Housley in some ways, even though he wasn't the coach. But to bring in another retread, I think, and I respect Lindy. I liked how he dealt with players. I liked how he dealt with the media. He always had something, an an agenda and a message to send to the players and the media, and I've said this on this show before. But I just don't know if Lindy Ruff, the way he left was wrong, but I believe even if you spoke to Lindy today that he'd acknowledge it was time for him to go. We're going to get uh, Thomas Vanek's thoughts on this too. He's uh, obviously still in the National Hockey League. He's one of those players from Lindy Ruff's uh, from through those glory years. We're Big talking fan. about 06, 07, in which uh, Thomas uh, and I, you know what I learned today. I'll talk about this story that I'm working on a little later in the show. But I was also on the phone with former Sabres goaltenders coach Jim Corsi today, yep. and he mentions to me that Ryan Miller. He says, "Is Ryan Miller 39?" And I said, "There is no way." Ryan Miller is 39. And so, of course, I'm on the computer and I go to Hockey DB and he turns 39 in July. Right. It's amazing. Yeah, we're that old. And that he's still playing, you know, at an, at the goal, to be a goaltender at that age. Sure. Maybe Thomas Vanek can lend his thoughts on this, actually. He's walking into a buzzsaw here. Thomas, <laughs> from, the, from the 06, 07 teams uh, that the Sabres had, how many guys are still playing? Of course, there's you, Jason yeah. Commonville, but... Ryan Miller's thir- going to be 39 in a couple of months. That to me is, really? is yes. God, he doesn't. He doesn't seem 39. I mean, yeah, he's he looks the same to me. He's still skinny and uh, still a good goalie. So I'm sure he'll he'll find another job. He'll be skinny when he's 75. <laughs> That's true. So I'm trying to think back. True. Brian Campbell is out of the game, of course. Uh, yeah, relatively recently. It. But who else? Just you. Just you three. I think so, yeah. I can't think of anyone else right now. Now, I'm looking at who was on the ice for Game 7 of the 2006 Eastern Conference Finals, and I do not see... I think uh, Stafford was Stafford, there. Stafford, after, but Stafford wasn't on that team. No, 06, not 07. on that team. No, he was on, he was on the team in 07. He took uh, J.P. Yeah. Dumont's place, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Thomas... Uh, and I'm going to tell people later on in the show that why I was talking to you yesterday because I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to writing the story. I spoke with Lindy Ruff for it today and, and Jim Corsi, and uh, <laughs> it's a lot of good memories. Um, it is. But um, your thoughts on Ralph Kruger because there aren't a lot of guys uh, with ties to the Buffalo area who can speak uh, to mm-hmm. his uh, his acumen, what he's able to do, what he's known mm-hmm. for. Uh, what's mm-hmm. been your experience with Ralph Kruger? Ralph is, to me, first of all, I think he's, he's probably one of the best people I've ever met in my life. And I've even met him, and I don't even know him that well. But he's, uh, he's great. He's a great hire. And I'll go back all the way until I was five years old playing in Austria, who back then I knew who Ralph Kruger was because he went over to Austria, coached a small-town pro team, and he turned that team into a European powerhouse, which has never been done before and hasn't been done since he left for um, and when he took the Swiss job. So I knew him, I've known Rob Ralph for, like I said, 30 years now. And then uh, a few years back, I got a chance to uh, play at the World Cup for him. And uh, 
we talked about those times and, um, when he was in Austria, and he's just, uh, just a great person. He's the best motivator I've ever ever seen in my life. So, um, But, again, is, is he the best hockey coach? I don't know. I, I, I love them, but uh, what, I, what I will say is I think I know, I know he will. He will get the most out of each and every guy because he cares, and he doesn't pretend to care. When he's invested, he is 100% invested, and uh, that's a big reason why our team did so well at the World Cup with Team Europe. What makes him such a good motivator? Well, I think that's just him because he cares. He, he you know, there's people who, who care, but you know, don't get too much invested. You know, and I, with him, you don't get that sense. When he talks to you, he's talking to you 100. percent that, That's it. You're, that conversation is, is between you and him, and um, and I think he understands that each guy needs to be treated differently, especially nowadays in the NHL. And I think he'll be uh, really good at that too. So he'll he'll like I told you yesterday, he'll he'll get the most out of each and every guy, and they'll got a lot playing for him. Thomas, it's John Warrell with the AP. I'm sitting in with mm-hmm. uh, Tim here and Mike Rodak and Jonah. And, but um, he was on the conference call today, and he was referring to uh, uh, Kruger was on the conference call today, and he was yep. referring to the 2016 World Cup, mm-hmm. and he said the system that he implemented validated what he was thinking. Um, mm-hmm. or, or what his philosophy was, um, mm-hmm. and, and he thinks that it can work in Buffalo. I mean, everybody, mm-hmm. every coach has a system. How would you, in layman's terms, you know, what is it about <laughs> his system that makes that, that that that's different from maybe what Lindy Ruff did, or or or, or Tortorella, or you know, some of the guys mm-hmm. did that. What, right. what made well, it what made it successful? I guess. Well, again, system to me, system is what, what, what type of team do you have, right? right? I thought we had a really good team at, at Team Europe, but we weren't the fastest team. So we, we the system we implemented is, okay, we're, we're going to be a patient hockey team. We're a skilled hockey team, but now we can't keep up with these young guys. And that showed in our preseason games. They, they crushed us twice. But we knew we were good. So we, we played a puck possession game. So, again, I, do I know what, what Ralph is going to do in Buffalo? I have no idea, but... Do I think he's smart enough to figure out quickly what kind of team he has and which direction he has to go with that team? I believe he can. So, so again, our system was uh, we're going to be puck possession, frustrate teams, and then, uh, then counter them. Hmm. So as a follow-up, I mean, the mm-hmm. Sabres are perceived to be a, a, a more of a speedy team. Do you think, you think he's got that, the adaptability to, 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 to mesh with what, what, what his team's strengths are? For sure, I think that's that's one of his greatest assets. I think is, is, is not just for individual, but for for a team. I think he, he he can adapt, and he realizes what you are, and he'll uh, he'll coach the strength out of each guy and each team. You know, so I think, like I said, for our team, you know, that the, our lines were built to certain things. Each guy had their own little. You know, you're good at this, you're bad at this, and he he made it fit perfectly. So. Uh, I believe he can do it, you know, at this level 100%. We're in conversation with former Sabres winger and current Detroit Red Wings winger Thomas Vanek. And Thomas, uh, regarding Ralph Kruger, this being an unorthodox hire, um, what is what is it from a player standpoint, or how, how would you think players in general react when there is somebody who is an outside-the-box hire? And I'm using finger quotes with that, but... Yes, he's a known name in the hockey community, but he's also been away mm-hmm. from it for a few years. He was most right. recently in the soccer business. Um, how much will it take for players to 
actually accept this or absorb it? Oh, it will take them one meeting. Uh, that's my opinion of it. I think it will take them one meeting and then see his fire, his 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 care level, his enthusiasm of hockey and life in general, and uh, they'll love him. I mean, again, I can't speak for everyone, but I know our team at Team Europe, and then my individual thing is uh, he was awesome, and, and he knew he cared, and uh, it won't take long for those guys in that locker room to respect him, and um uh, realize that he's he's there for them 100 percent. i know you're a huge fan of lindy ruff also thomas yeah. so i'm going to put you on the spot uh i learned today that lindy ruff did interview for the sabers opening and uh-huh. uh was told that he wasn't the right fit for them uh-huh lindy ruff or or paul Kru- or ralph Kruger? <laughs> <laughs> you know what i think those two would be perfect for each other actually so uh again i I've had my struggles with Lindy, but at the end of the day, Lindy and I are, uh, even though we never, you know, not never, sometimes NCI do I on a certain things, whatever. I think I, I know from my, from my side, I've always respected him. And now when he didn't coach me again, we, we always talk when we see each other and he's similar. He, he gets the most out of his players sometimes in different ways, which I think Ralph, you know, especially nowadays in the NHL, I think he'll be, really good at it because there's so many young kids who are maybe a bit softer than when I got in the league. That's just reality. But uh, I think Lindy has learned a lot over the years. And again, he was a lot better uh, my last years in Buffalo than he was my first years. But I think those first years made me the type of person I am uh, that I'm now as well. So I got nothing to do but good things to say about Lindy. I think he would have been a tremendous hire as well. Thomas, hopefully we, we, he'll get another chance. I'm sorry, we we were just talking about it right before you came on about how mm-hmm. Lindy has his uh, strained relationships with players, and I think a lot of players have had a similar experience with Lindy that you have. Mm-hmm. In that, mm-hmm. when you're playing for him, he's a bastard, and uh, <laughs> and he's he's tough to figure out sometimes, or he'll mm-hmm. do things that are for your own good, but you don't want to hear it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then you yeah. move on and you realize later. You said you had your struggles with Lindy. How mm-hmm. would you, how would you describe that as to what that, um, what that, di- what that dynamic is like for players who play for him? Well, again, the dynamic is that, again, Lindy is, is is similar in that those ways. And Ralph, like I said, I think he understands his players. So I don't want to say names, but there are certain players on the roster that you know he he couldn't yell at, and then there are certain guys that he can give it to him a lot more because. We were thicker skinned, man. I, you know, for for some reason, I didn't mind. The more he yelled at me, the more I wanted to uh, prove him wrong. And then, so he was good at that, you know. So at times, I didn't want to hear because I'm like, "Geez, it's me again." But <laughs> he knew he could get more out of me. So, uh, you know, it took me a, maybe a little bit to realize it, but at the time, I didn't mind it because I had the mentality of, "Oh, you think that? I'll show you wrong." And other guys would never get yelled at like that, but uh, I think he knew that, that they could maybe handle that, you know, that that way. They needed it maybe one-on-one in the separate instead of in, in the locker room or something like that. Who couldn't handle it? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, Thomas. I was going to ask you, who was somebody who thrived off that, that you would experience him, uh, you know, get their ass chewed and, and really bounce back? One guy I remember mm-hmm. who used to really respond to Lindy when he was put in a bad when Lindy would put him in the crosshairs mm-hmm. was J.P. Dumont. 
Uh, yeah. If Lindy ever dropped him on a line or benched him or something like mm-hmm. that, JP always just seemed to come back and and with a smile on his face uh, and, and sure. really do it. Uh, but I figured it's not fair for me to ask that question and not ask the other way around. So I'm just trying to do my job. <laughs> um, no, no, but you're spot on. JP's definitely one of them. And you know who else? My, Derek Roy was the same. Royce has got it a lot. And, uh, you know, Royce had that swagger to him where he didn't mind. He just he kept going and then wanted to prove him wrong. The thing that I think really was Lindy's stumbling block was uh, he couldn't figure out a way to motivate and sometimes they didn't need it, but he, he, I think he was spoiled by having Dominic Hasek at the beginning of his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when it came time to uh, work through the goalie situation that the Sabres had with Ryan Miller and Marty Baran and Mika Noranen, I think mm-hmm. that, it, and he would even admit it, like he, mm-hmm. he couldn't push the buttons on his goaltenders like he could the forwards and the defensemen. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, it's hard, right? I mean, that's three goalies who can all play and they all want to play. And at the time, I mean, how can you not play Ryan? Then looking back, you know, it would have been better maybe to have Ryan sit 15 games and give Marty more games, maybe. But it's always easy to say afterwards. And I've never coached, so I, it's, it's, I, I can't have the opinion that oh, he did it wrong there because who knows, I would have maybe done the same thing. But. I think that's where Ralph is really good because he'll he'll hire a great staff and he won't be afraid to to delegate things where he thinks he's not maybe the best at. I think that's that's what I sensed at least at the World Cup. We had Paul Maurice as one of the assistant coaches, the Winnipeg head coach, and um, and he was awesome for that group too. And and Ralph knew what he was really good with his X's and O's. And he let Paul do a lot of that stuff, and um, it, it just worked out great. But he didn't see. Uh, Ralph jumping in on, on those meetings or anything. He just trusted his staff that he hired. Thomas Vanek, thanks for joining us. But before I let mm-hmm. you go, I, I might as well go ahead mm-hmm. and tell people the story I'm working on. I'm, I'm doing a story, uh, and then I'll get maybe a thought from you. Um, I'm doing a story uh, for The Athletic on the 2006 Eastern Conference Finals. And that mm-hmm. was the one, if uh, people out there listening are trying to remember 06 to 07, 06 was the <laughs> year that the defense fell apart. Uh, yeah. Game 7 in Raleigh uh, against the Hurricanes with everything on the line. The Sabres had four AHL defensemen on the ice. Um, Rory Fitzpatrick, Jeff Gilson, Nathan Page, uh, Doug Janik. And they mm-hmm. still find a way to take a lead going into the third period. And I've always wanted to go back and take a look at that team and what happened, <laughs> what was happening behind the scenes. So I guess just to tease my story or to help me tease it, Thomas, mm-hmm. what do you remember about being so close at that time to making it to the Stanley Cup Finals? And a lot of people think if you advance and play Edmonton, you're, mm-hmm. you're winning the Stanley Cup. Well, that, you just said it right there. I mean, that that was our thought process, and and mine too. And as if if we're getting there, we're winning this thing. And uh, unfortunately, it didn't. But what I remember is just again how crazy the city went, and uh, the fans, and not just during the games, it's, it's between the games. I mean, you go to Wegman's the shop, and people are just pumped. I mean, it, it seemed like they were more pumped than us uh, for the game. So uh, it was a group was a really fun group you know it wasn't uh again it was my first year and i had so much fun because we had great leadership we had such fun veterans and then and it really felt like a team and then 
that's the biggest key to me, and that's what I've learned, and I was happy to learn in my first year that sometimes just because you're the best team doesn't mean you're going to win because usually the best teams don't win. But that team uh, felt really like a team. We were close. We had fun, and uh, we really believed if we're going to get past you know, Carolina with those injuries that we're going to win the Cup. Well, thanks so much for giving me your thoughts two days in a row, Thomas. I didn't expect, uh, you know, hey, I haven't spoken to you in 12 <laughs> years. Are. Talk to you tomorrow. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I'll check. I'll check in with you and the family and see if you want to get together this weekend. Uh, and one last question for you, Tom. But you told me yesterday yeah. when I asked you if you could come on the show, you had baseball practice yeah. today. What does an Austrian mm-hmm. know about baseball? Not much. All I know is uh, my, my my kids love it. And I'm uh, I'm a big fan of it now. I love the, you know. It's it's a team sport, but yet it's such an individual sport at the same time. So uh, I think it's great for kids because it's it's such a mental game too. Because if you make a mistake, everyone knows it's your mistake. So uh, there's lots of failure in that sport, but I think uh, it toughens up the kids. So uh, I like that my boys are in that sport. All right, dig it, Thomas. All right, thanks for talking with us. It's great to hear your voice, and uh, uh, I appreciate you walking down memory lane and then also giving us your thoughts on Ralph Kruger. No problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, Thomas Vanek, former Buffalo Sabres winger. Thomas Vanek, by the way, I had forgotten this until I'm doing my research on this. He only played 10 games in that uh, in that playoff series. He, he scored 24 goals for him as a rookie. And then Lindy just didn't trust his play. He he did he had a little trouble in in the first round or the first against Philly. That. He played only ten games. Ten minutes. Now that no the ten now, games. Now that I re- realize, yeah. Now that I think back, you know, I, I believe you're right. Yeah, yeah. game I mean, seven. Right. He was watching from the press box with me in the. Uh, you mean in the entire seven. playoff? Playoffs. Ten games okay. in the entire playoff run. Gotcha. I was just confused. Yeah. All right, we come back. We're going to have more thoughts on new Sabres coach Ralph Kruger. Uh, take your calls if you want to call in. Give us your thoughts on uh, the decision not to hire Lindy Ruff, even though he did interview for the job. 270-1270, feel free to call in. I know there are a lot of fans out there that remember Lindy fondly. There are a lot of fans out there that uh, are glad he's gone. What? And uh, let's see uh, how excited you are about the idea of Ralph Kruger as the Sabres head coach. Again, phone lines are open, 270-1270. Uh, that and more when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. If I'm Why? Why are you playing this? Oh, hang on. Am I supposed to know what this is? Yeah, you know, a little class, and then we uh, bring it back to some party music. Party it up. <laughs> Are we on the air? <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, but we don't have any listeners left. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports <laughs> Radio 1270, The Fan. We have a listener. Feel free to call in. Tell us what you think about uh, the Sabres' decision to hire Ralph Kruger as the next head coach. At least you and- say Ralph Wilson. News today that uh, we learned that Lindy Ruff did interview for the job and the Sabres just weren't comfortable enough with it. So they went a totally different direction. They went an unorthodox direction, uh, hiring uh, a coach who's, he's technically not a European coach. He was born in Canada, 
but brings a uh, overly European influence influence and right. background to the scene. Uh, here with uh, Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, John War, the Associated Press, is here in studio for the show. Jonah Bronstein handling things on Periscope, where you can see a live feed of the Tim Graham show. Bobby Rosati producing, bringing in the callers, doing some audio for us. Um, One thing struck me, uh, to, to go back to this unorthodox hire, but uh, like Ralph Kruger versus Lindy Ruff, I think Ralph Kruger's personality better meshes with Jason Botterill. They're both analytical thinkers. They're, they're both positive thinkers. And I'm not sure if Lindy Ruff, I think, I think Jason is more comfortable with a Ralph Kruger than he is with Lindy Ruff, who he doesn't know maybe all that well. Knows him now, now that he's been working with Team Canada in Europe. But I think the personality-wise, Botterill and Ralph Kruger mesh better than Lindy Ruff and Jason Botterill. And I think that may have came into into consideration. I'm, no, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say, I'm by no means an expert in Ralph Kruger. I think I first heard his name about 72 hours ago. So take that with a grain of salt. But I think just from reading and listening, I think the biggest question is whether – he's better off in the coaching role that they hired him for, or would he have been better off in an executive role where, you know, maybe that analytical thinking and leadership skills and whatever else is um, at the top of his resume would be better suited. I think that's going to be the question. Lindy even hinted at it. You know, he's been away from coaching and away from the game and away from the league for a little while, and maybe it'll take some time to get back into that, that mix. So, um, I think that's that's probably the question. I mean, he's definitely he seems like a worldly guy. I mean, listening to him today about walking around Buffalo and he's talking about the architecture and obviously he's lived in Europe and you know it's he's more than just a typical hockey guy who's going to stand behind the bench and that's what he's thinking about three hundred and sixty four and a half days a year. Is that good or is that bad? I don't know. One of the things that Thomas Vanek pointed out to me yesterday and, uh, and alluded to it again uh, during the interview in the last segment was that um, when Ralph Kruger was head coach of Europe in the World Cup, in which you know, the European team uh, made a, a run that a lot of people didn't expect, uh, that Paul Maurice was on his staff and handled a lot of the X's and O's. And Thomas Vanek said that was classic Ralph Kruger in that he had somebody on his staff to handle these types of things and is able to delegate without feeling threatened. And so it becomes a orchestrated effort that everybody is working together uh, and the players have a tendency to then believe in the system that much more when the coach is allowing uh, other people to step up and, and do certain things. So perhaps we shouldn't judge this hire until we see who the assistants are going to be. Well, Which kind of sucks because everybody's been waiting for this big moment to happen, and now I guess we still have to keep waiting to to get the full picture of what Ralph Kruger is going to be until we know who else he's going to be able to lean on. And that was Ted Nolan's downfall in his second incarnation. He, you know, when it came to his assistant coaches. I mean, if you really want to make comparisons to a certain extent, Ted Nolan and Ralph Kruger are the same guy. Guys who aren't really X's and O's guys, guys who are better known to be motivators, although I'm told Ralph Kruger is more of an innovator in hockey than maybe Ted Nolan was, but Ted Nolan's assistant coaching staff was a mess. 
and one of the reasons why he got fired because Tim Murray didn't like the hires that he made, and he 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 brought in some friends. I'm not expecting the same from Ralph Kruger. Is will it be any different for him coaching an NHL schedule, 82 games, you're on the road, X number of nights a year, from the job that he was doing previously when you're living in England as a chairman of Southampton and living in Europe and it's a different lifestyle than being on the road in the NHL and the team doesn't, you know, come along quickly enough. You have fans and media on your back. That's the question, I think. Will he want to be part of that? Um, and he maybe does right now, but he, even a month ago, I mean, there was a story, was it Pierre Lebrun, where he said he wasn't really thinking about getting back into coaching, and now, you know, he's been convinced to come back in, but again, will that stick? And the underlying question is, is he better off in that overseer executive role where it's not as much the day-to-day grind, or is this the right job. I but, think that's... but he's he's never been an executive, except for this whole South... When it comes to hockey, right. he's never been an executive. And he talked about how coaching is a magnet. And I remember Pat Quinn, you know, the the, the former Canucks and Sabre, uh, Maple Leafs coach, who talked about the lure of coaching. And it's this... There's this thing, once you're a coach, you're always a coach. And Pat Quinn hated being a general manager. And I think people are either... It, I think you're either one of the or, or the two. And I think... Kruger is more established as a coach than as, as an executive. How about this? And phone lines are open, 270-1270. That's 716 area code if you're calling from outside the area, 716-270-1270. Just to throw, this is a total throwing chum into the ocean right here. This. What if uh, the Sabres today just hired the future president of the Buffalo Bills slash Buffalo Sabres, Ralph Kruger. If Ralph Kruger has experience as a major executive in Europe and, you know, they talk about this possibly being a bridge coach to come in and uh, eventually, if he didn't want to get into coaching, but part of the allure was, all right, come in over and then you can be, uh, uh, then you can be assimilated into our hierarchy here at Pagula Sports and Entertainment. What if uh, what if Ralph Kruger is uh, in two or three years the the next president of the Buffalo say uh, Buffalo Bills taking over for Kim Pagula? I mean, it's possible. I mean, it it does. It I'm does saying this with right. a smile on my I, face, I know, but, but let's well, talk no, about no, it. He's 60 but, years but, old. I mean, <laughs> let's talk about but, it. But 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 I be, I also believe that his experience. How I I think he Jason Bottle can lean more on can, can lean more on 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 Ralph Moron can lean more on. Ralph Kruger, then, I mean, it, it felt that with Phil Housley as coach that Bottle was doing all the heavy lifting. And he was carrying, he was helping Housley along. Whereas, where I don't think the same work, I, I think Kruger actually helps Bottle in that, in that sense. All that said, sure, 65, retire or whatever, or become president. I mean, why not? Sure. Everybody's been begging, saying that the Pagulas need this extra tsar. barrier. A tsar. A czar, yes. I prefer the czar. I prefer the Caesar. You you go old school Russian. No, Caesar is the old school. Tsar was the Americanized version. Oh, is that okay? Yes, that is a fact. Yeah, I don't know. We've so looked you, it up. You know this. You looked like you had something to say, Jonah. Yeah, I was going to make a joke about Caesar salads. <laughs> I decided against it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're laughing. Thank Classic. You. To respond to your point, Tim, I think 
if it's not, if there's another team president coming after Kim Pagula, there'll be two for different teams. I think it's kind of a unique situation here with the owner. There's synergy there that I don't think, you know, what has Ralph Kruger done to have decision-making power over the Buffalo Bills? Did hockey and football the, the, the same thing that Russ Brandon did with the Sabres. Right. Well, right. <laughs> it was a baseball there you guy. go. <laughs> but, um, I don't know, it's, it, it opens up a broader question. Bobby, I mean, uh, again, let's try it. Can you get uh, Russ Brandon on the phone yeah, for me, me please? See. Sorry, Russ Brandon is not available. Oh. No. <laughs> Sorry. But you're hearing that uh, we... we we let that go in the first we segment. Did. Mike Rodak, you were saying well, you're I'm hearing not, that Russ Brandon not is... not per source. It's per another person's source. And I'm not going to say that person or that person's Damn. source. You can't... Well, you said it on the air. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm hearing that Russ Brandon just wants to get back in the game, bro. Well, that's... I don't think that's any kind of breaking news. No. But he's, you know... I, I would Mike. say that from the moment he was let go, that's he was true. telling people he had another job lined up, which led certain people to tweet, yeah, don't... That Russ Brandon's not going to be unemployed for long, and he wasn't. He got hired at New Era. That's true. He did well. He, <laughs> well, about a year later. No, was it? No, it's been. Maybe, no, hasn't even been a year six, since six he's been gone. Before, right. No, it was. It was May second. It was the day was before it? my birthday. Did you have like oh, a wow. mark on your calendar? No, it was the year? day before my birthday. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's how I know. The one year anniversary. Yes, yeah, so I mark it on my calendar. <laughs> do you have the whole audio? Is this the whole audio, John? Uh, do you write your own birthday? Russ Brandon is not available. Do I what? <laughs> Do you have the whole audio from that? Uh, I think so. Give me a second. All right. Well, we'll play it later in the show. Do you have the Trump one? Yes, but I like how we evaded the whole question. Russ Brandon is interested in getting back in the NFL. No kidding. Like what? But right. here we are. We're, it's like it's we... a lot easier. I love Buffalo. I've been to Buffalo. But, I, but you know, this has nothing to do with the team because this is before Ralph passed away. Four weeks ago, I was in Buffalo. Not Ralph Kruger. I'm in. <laughs> Who was that? It's that's Donald Trump. Donald Trump. That's my, that's that was, my okay, interview. Guys, but that's, okay, right. Can we get the actual... That's my interview with Donald Which Trump went the, right oh, after oh, yeah. when the bills Jeff were for sale. Brandon, and what's Jeff Lipman? <laughs> Play it again. Jeff Brandon, and what's Jeff Lipman? <laughs> Jeff Brandon. Everybody's Jeff here. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back... Paul Kruger. More shenanigans. We're going to talk more about Paul... <laughs> Ralph Kruger. <laughs> no. Ralph Wilson? I should just be able to say Ralph. I mean, the, the funny thing the I funny know. thing you about can. it is that when Thomas Vanek called him Ralph, I'm Rolf. thinking Ralph Ralph Wilson. I'm like, why is he? Oh, Ralph Kruger. Ralph it's going to it's got to be Kruger. It was more of a Ralph have. though from Thomas. I thought it was Ralph Cramden. And away we go. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody gets that. <laughs> I, I would hope some people do. <laughs> Mike Rodak doesn't. No. He can't name a Led Zeppelin song no. we learned last week. More to come on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with ESPN.com's Mike Rodak. Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein and Bronstein, your sports journalist, injury attorneys. <laughs> Bobby Rosati running things, running point. Bobby, why is there a jar of peanut butter over there? I, I eat it. <laughs> like with your fingers? No. With your what? With this spoon. Oh, just by itself? Yeah, sometimes. Why? Because I have to take pills in the morning sometimes and it doesn't go down. 
Or are you like a dog? <laughs> yeah. You, you have you tried rap, have you tried wrapping it in cheese? Jeez. Have you tried rectal? <laughs> we tried what? Rectal no. pills? <laughs> no, probably be a little easier. You wouldn't, get, you wouldn't get heartburn that way. <laughs> <laughs> you could try to use peanut butter with that, too. <laughs> well, now you're back. <laughs> John back. Warrow, the Associated Press, is here for as long as an employer will allow. <laughs> My God. <laughs> We've been talking about Ralph Kruger. Ralph Wilson. We've talked about Ralph Cramden. We've mm-hmm. talked about Paul Kruger. Talked about Ralphie from The Simpsons. Ralph Baccio. <laughs> Ralphie from A Christmas Story. Ooh. Yes. Ralph Melf. Ralph Gar. I'm out. I was trying to think of somebody with the last Major name, League Ralph. outfielder of the 1970s, Ralph Gar. Got me there. Not as attractive as Terry Gar. Jonah Bronstein, where are we with these NBA playoffs? Well, we're in the third round. That's true. We're in the conference finals. Conference finals. Now, we have somebody we could ask, listener of the show, Scooter Vertino, who is a uh, senior producer, executive producer. I'm botching his title. I know he's listening, too. But he's uh, at Turner Sports, so he probably knows a thing or two about this. But I'm guessing that Portland, Golden State, Toronto, Milwaukee Milwaukee is not the network's dream matchup when it comes to ratings. You have two smaller market teams and one team that isn't even in your country that doesn't even register in Nielsen ratings. We the North. You the North. So anyways, from a rating yeah, standpoint, well, not a big draw. The ratings were down in the first round, and that was attributed to no LeBron. And then the Houston-Golden State series, I don't know if it set records, but had very high ratings. People were interested in that. Yeah, I do think it's not huge markets, although Golden State is a big market and, and a national team yeah, without in a them, way. Man. And I think the NBA is at a point right now where I don't think they're too worried about whether they're going to get good ratings. They might not be record-setting ratings, might not be as high as last year, but the NBA has such a penetration into the mainstream right now that I think, especially in the finals, they're still going to get a big audience for those games. Even if it's Portland-Milwaukee? Yeah. I mean, it might. there's potential for higher ratings with higher markets, but I think they'll still do good ratings. Without the Warriors, it might take some steam out of it, but then I think you, you see something fresh. People will be interested in seeing you know, who's going to be the new champion after this team that's dominated and maybe people have gotten sick of that over the last few years. I mean, are they in danger of losing this series without Durant? No. So they, no, they'll be in the final. Milwaukee, you the game last you, night? I mean, they, they looked, right. they, they're playing better without Durant. You can sell Milwaukee-Golden State, I think, because Milwaukee has star power. Yes. And it will be... Yeah, the MVP? I yeah. mean, Toronto Superstar does versus the... Yeah, but... Kawhi, Giannis, I think. Drake? Yes. I think Portland is a team where you're like, eh... Well, yeah, per- Portland's a dud. Yeah, for sure. Although the Portland Denver series was my favorite series so far of this postseason, I thought it was great from start to finish. With the ex- there was one bad game, game six, I think it was. Right. Portland's a strong NBA market too. It's a smaller market and might not captivate people nationally the way some other franchises do. It's probably like Buffalo is with its hockey. Yeah, they'll do good ratings throughout the Pacific Northwest. If Portland's in the finals, especially with Seattle good up there, interest. I, I don't know. I don't study the TV ratings to know 
exactly how it's going to be affected with different markets, but I think the the general there'll be national interest in the NBA through these next two rounds, no matter who's playing who, who's zooming who. Well, nobody knows. Nobody knows for sure. But I will say, I was enthralled to see the New York Knicks get zoomed last night <laughs> and not come away with Zion Williamson. And uh, I mean, now he's going to New Orleans, which I like because New Orleans has not been too relevant. They've been a decent team. I mean, but they really just haven't been on the radar. And I think New Orleans is such a fun city and it has a lot of things going against it since Hurricane Katrina. It's been we, the worst NBA market since the hurricane, if not before that. It's turned it went from a medium sized market to a small size market. The newspapers going out of business or whatever is happening down there. It's getting absorbed by a paper in Baton Rouge and things going on with businesses there and the city not the city could use something and it's such a great city. Um, but anyways, I like that. And I, I think that um, Dolan, the owner of the New York Knicks, deserves to get jobbed anytime possible. Now, this was a random drawing. It's not like the NBA totally screwed over the Knicks. But then, what was it, 14 or 16% chance the Knicks had? The Knicks had a 14% chance, which was with other teams. They flattened the odds. Down from 25. I think New Orleans had 6%. So it was a bit of an upset that New Orleans won the lottery over a team like New York or Cleveland or Phoenix. They had the higher odds. But I don't think... New York was necessarily unlucky. It wasn't. First of all, the the team with the highest odds, I think, has never won the lottery. It might have only happened one time. And it used to be much higher odds, where if you had the worst record, you really felt like, ooh, if we don't win this pick, we kind of got the short end of the stick. Now, 14%, that's a one in seven chance. I, you know, I don't think Knicks fans should have expected that they were going to win the lottery. No, but that really, and I, it takes away the whole tanking. Objective. That, that was the goal of flattening the odds and for they, sure. They lottery. They picked out four teams in the lot, four spots in the lottery instead of three. It's not like the Knicks don't have the money to try to put a team together, and which the, is I, the travesty of it. And like with Dolan kicking the fan out, it was on video of Do, of Dolan getting ridiculed by this fan and him ba- banning the fan from the arena while the Charles Oakley thing well, too. Oh, the oh, abs- yeah, that well, was it just keeps going. Yeah. I mean, hiring Isaiah Thomas. I mean, just but but so many so many wrong headed decisions. There's better Joel days Jackson. ahead for the Knicks though. They're going to sign Kevin Durant. They may get another superstar player to play with them. I mean, they're like top three, right and now they in still Vegas have an opportunity, possibly to. Build a trade package for Anthony Davis around the number three pick. You're saying who is top three in Vegas? The Knicks are like considered top three in Vegas right now to win the NBA Finals. If you look at some of the odds, yeah, is that is right? You? Yeah, that sounds high. You, but I know they're like in the mix. They have. What do you think of Colin Cowherd reported that? Uh, I don't former, think much of Colin Cowherd. Well, he reported. <laughs> no, he reported. Uh, he, is on, a, he is on the station. Yeah, yeah. an NBA vet texted him and said that it's a hundred percent. Durant's going. There's been a lot of chatter like that. Yeah. I mean, Stephen A. had 95, right? Yeah. We'll talk about that some more when we come back on the break. We also want to get into John Beeline's decision, shocking as it was, to go from the Michigan Wolverines to the Cleveland Cavaliers. As I said yesterday on Twitter, his first step down in his career has been a has been uh, nothing but an ascent. But I think uh, going from Michigan to the Cleveland Cavaliers is a step down. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about uh, the Sabres' decision to uh, hire Ralph Kruger, what's going on with the Buffalo Bills, and much, much more on the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan.
The Tim Graham Show. Uh, Tim's discounted prices shot out of the ground by premium prices. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yeah, huh? I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270TheFan. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. Uh-oh. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Gonna win, yeah, we're taking over. That was the belief by one Eric James Manuel Jr. <laughs> when he took over as the Bills quarterback in 2013, E.J. Manuel, since our last show, announced his retirement from the National Foosball League. He was the first-round pick, 16th overall of the Bills. If you recall, they traded backwards, got an extra pick, managed to get Kiko Alonso with that extra pick. To be honest, not a bad draft after EJ. No. and not they And they got their best quarterback available because that quarterback draft class was not great. Mm-hmm. In fact, Smith. the guy, Yeah, Geno Smith, who just is on Matt his Barkley. fourth team, I think. Landry Jones. Yeah, Geno Smith signing with the uh, Seahawks. But, yeah, that, that draft, I mean, Robert Woods, Kiko Alonso in the second round are both starters in this league. I mean, Marquise Goodwin. I'm Tim Graham from The Athletic, here with my usual co-host Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein is here, as always. Producer Bobby Rosati handling the thing. John Worrell, the Associated Press, is here in studio, so it's a good time to ask what your favorite E.J. Manuel memory is. Huh. Anybody want to take a shot at it? I mean, are I we... don't think it was the worst. It wasn't the worst pick. If you were going to draft a quarterback, really, it's not like you look at that draft class and say, well, you know they should have gotten X. Are we talking like sarcastic good memory or like Whatever you, actual I said, your favorite, your favorite memory. E.J. Manuel was the first quarterback taken off the board there, 16th overall. No other quarterback taken in the first round that year. Geno Smith goes next to the Jets, 39th. And he just signed with the Hawks. Mike Glennon, (laughs) Tampa Bay Buccaneers, took him in the third round. So only three quarterbacks taken through three rounds. Then you have, in the fourth round, Matt Barkley to Philly, Ryan Nassib to the New York Giants. A lot of people thought Ryan Nassib was uh, earmarked. With for Marone. the Bills, because he played for Doug Marone at Syracuse. Tyler Wilson, I don't even remember him. Oakland in the fourth round. Landry Jones goes to the Steelers. And then you don't have another quarterback taken until the seventh round. Brad Sorensen, Zach Dysert, B.J. Daniels, Sean Renfrey. A that was that, row. Absolutely. That was the quarterback class of 2013. So you take a look at it if you're the Buffalo Bills, uh, and... Hey, if they were going to draft the quarterback, they took their shot. E.J. Manuel didn't work out. He looked the part. 
He had the size. He was mobile. He just wasn't accurate and wasn't able to process the game. And very upset last year, E.J. Manuel making headlines, or at least blog headlines around the NFL, when he took a shot at the Bills and uh, Nathan Peterman saying, essentially, I'm not getting the chances that Nathan Peterman is getting because he's white and I'm black. His tweet, I don't know if anybody can pull that up quickly, but it was something right. along the lines he of, it. you know, hey, what's the difference? Right. He, it he put it on Instagram, I said, think. But it was implied that yeah. race had a, a role in that. Not to mention that E.J. Manuel had just been cut from a backup role with Oakland. He was out of work. E.J. Manuel being a first-round pick and the expectations that come along with that, uh, he with the first-round money, so that's why you don't get the chances. Nathan Peterman was a late-round draft pick and, you know, whatever. Right. We all know that that was disastrous. But sure. He, so anyway, so you got it there, Bobby? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, EJ, per his Instagram, was, I usually never open up about my situation in Buffalo, but the fact that this guy has had multiple games with four-plus interceptions and I still don't have a job in the league, unreal. Say what you want about me, but never have I ever done that. Forget a learning curve. I didn't get the luxury of being able to use that as an excuse. I wonder why, dot, dot, dot. Learning curve. He started 10 games as a rookie. Wait a second. Didn't he? How many interceptions did he throw against Jacksonville? No, that was a lot. Well, no, sorry, was, there, were, there was a fumble. There, there was too. a fumble yeah. involved. There was like a four-minute sequence. I remember being in London, and that's an outdoor press box, and just the whole sequence of events there was just That was every bit as bad as Nathan Peterman's sure four-interception performance. However... E.J. Manuel did lead the Bills on a comeback, and they almost won that game. And if LaShawn McCoy doesn't fumble right. near the goal line, the Bills probably win that game. Right. So he did. Uh, but he know, put them in the he hole. He rallied them. Right. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so E.J. We, we were we were laughing about it uh, during the break because uh, the Sabers uh, tweet that they got their man. Right. Was that what it was? And what else was somebody else had tweeted? Pen, uh, I mean. A lot of people. The Cardinals when yeah, they yeah. Uh, drafted Kyler Murray. Right. The Bills the when reason. they drafted some of these guys. I, I went on a rant, I think, when you were gone two weeks ago, just to how that annoys me. When everybody gets, gets when they sign their players or draft their players or hire a coach, it's always, we got our guy. One of these days, I just want a team to say, you know what? Really wasn't our guy. Or just keep just, their mouth shut. Right. Uh, free, uh, freezing Cold Takes retweeted the EJ Manual when he was drafted. Uh, the tweet that the Bills sent out of uh, E.J. Manuel, Nuff said. He Oof. threw four interceptions in, oh, wait, hang on. Damn it, did I really do that? What did you do? No, I didn't. You? He threw four interceptions Sunday, December 8th in 2013. It was against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, mm, and it was That was a bad Tampa. one. Four yeah. interceptions, E.J. Manuel, I, credited to him. That was a bad game. He's a freaking liar. Uh, Rainey, Bobby Rainey, was that his name? He ripped off an 80-yard run on That's the first him. play from scrimmage. He did. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. 80-yard rush. I, right I was oh, at I that, that game. Play. Yeah, I remember First that. play from yes. scrimmage. Dan and it Carpenter was, was kicking, too. Well, <laughs> Mike Mike Patton's defense. My One of my favorite E.J. Manuel memories is not really an E.J. Manuel memory. It's when the Buffalo Bills website posted a statistical analysis of the first starts of E.J. Manuel versus the first six starts of Cam Newton, trying to make the case that E.J. Manuel is like Cam Newton and went Jeez. through his passer rating and all that through the first six starts. And, and in general, this, the, 
it was like they kept trying to prove it and prove it and prove it. Even Doug Marone at um, training camp in 2014, we were down in Pittsburgh, and EJ was just god-awful that day. And we were all tracking his completion percentage and, and practice because it was so bad. And he was like, I don't know, 10 for 25 or something like that. And then Doug Marone gets all angry at us in the, the press conference the next day and has his own numbers that he's trying to show us and said he was, he was actually 70%. And, you know, that's not a bad number or whatever. EJ Manuel is the reason. If you'll recall, right. the Bills had a very ill-fated and p- poorly rolled out public relations policy in which reporters were no longer allowed to track right. attempts and completions in practice. That was a hell of a day, too. <laughs> and it was sent out in a press release, That's if right. I remember correctly, and everyone got a hold of it, including ESPN's... Uh, the NFL show, the daily NFL show. It was this on our media, it was on our desks in the media room. And uh, we within came an, in for a mini camp in in May. Within an hour, <clears throat> it was on ESPN, and yeah. everyone was ripping it. Right. Trey Wingo and whoever was on the panel was Teddy Bruschi, I think, right. if I remember, was saying, "How can you do this?" And within the hour, the Bills were backtracking. Well, that's not what we meant. Well, but the reason was EJ Manuel, right? Because. People were writing about EJ Manuel hitting, uh, you know, hitting the the hospitality tent. That's another memory, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was overthrowing that somebody year. to the point that he hit the well, tent. Well, Marone instituted an in-house policy in which they could not. Okay, during practice, because you know the the, the Bills in-house media, you know, films all the practice, even even the stuff that the TV TV uh, media can media cameras people can't shoot, but. No interceptions were allowed. No EJ Manuel interceptions were allowed on the on, on BuffaloBills.com. And <laughs> not that they and, put it on there anyway. Well, no, but but w- wouldn't you want to highlight a cornerback or a safety who who picks off who makes a nice well, who makes a, a nice point. interception? But that was a hell of a day for the Bills. I think that was 2015, uh, maybe 2016 spring when the media policy came out, and it was, again it was on our desks in the media room when we walked in. It was the first day of OTAs, I think. And then that same day, Doug Whaley was on the radio that morning, and that's when he said humans shouldn't play football. Which then <laughs> right. became that a whole also other was deal. on ESPN. I remember, yeah, that <laughs> right. was a double whammy. They had to put on you know, a statement about that that he didn't mean what he said. Obviously, the NFL is not thrilled that one of its GMs was saying that you know the guy he who hires players to play football doesn't think that the players should play football. Do you have a favorite EJ Manuel moment, uh, yes. John Wara of the Associated Press? And it's a personal one because. I, I know where I was during the Houston game, which wound up being EJ's one of EJ's last start before losing the job to Kyle Orton. Mm-hmm. And I'm I was actually driving. JJ Watt mm-hmm. was yes, yes. I'm driving from Nashville back to Buffalo because I was at a friend's 50th birthday party. I may have been a little hungover, and I'm listening to the game on the radio because I I need to know what happened. I'm going, oh geez, looks like this team might be for real, three and one start. They've got this, you know. They're uh, he's at the goal line. They're gonna they're gonna beat Houston. Yeah. Oh, never mind. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, was it the draft? Is where were you? Oh, the Super Bowl. Have you told this story publicly? I I may have. Uh, I know what you're year? saying. Right. So EJ Manuel right. at the end of his rookie year. Yes. Uh, I am at the Super Bowl. Uh, Jerry Sullivan um, had uh, a family issue and was I was there as the columnist for the Buffalo News. Uh, with Jay Skursky and uh, Mark Gaughan, I believe, we're covering the Super Bowl. This is in New York, uh, the year that it was uh, at the Meadowlands. Seahawks, Patriots, and Seahawks, Broncos. E.J. Manuel was making the media rounds. And so he was made available to the local media. 
And I was writing a column supposing, you know, what if the Bills, here we are getting towards the Super Bowl, well, it was Super Bowl week. So right. what's coming up is, which is what we've been writing about since the end of the season. What's right. next? What do you do in the draft? Uh, who do you, how do you uh, go after free agents? The whole thing. And so I asked him the question. I wanted to get his reaction. I said, what if the Bills were to bring in another quarterback? And uh, he answered it. He kind of uh, brushed the question aside. And so I asked it uh, a follow-up regarding that, and he turned it on me. And he said, well, what do you think? What do you think they should do? Now, a lot of people were upset at my response to E.J. Manuel, but I'm about to write a column that the Bills should go ahead and draft another quarterback. So I'm not going to lie to his face and then write a column. I'm not going to say, well, EJ, uh, of course they should not, and then write a column saying that they, they, they should. should go. And there have been ex- there have been instances of this, uh, the, Indiana- the uh, Indianapolis Colts drafting Arch Schleister and then John Elway. Uh, there, have been, there have been a handful. Not a lot, but there have been a handful. It happens. The Cardinals just this year, but right. of course this was prior Before to this. Yeah. But uh, there were the – so anyway – uh, he said, "Oh, you think so, huh? All right, good for you, or thanks, you know." And he like gave me a shot, me some daggers, and then turned and walked away. So I wrote that, right? Because that was the column right. I was going to write, and uh, people, a lot of fans, got on me. Leave EJ alone. That was mean. You shouldn't have done that. Um, I think that those same fans look back on it now. That's in the moment. Fans get into a thing where they want well, they want to insulate their best players and give them the best chance to win and keep the big bad media and the mean media away from them. But EJ Manuel had a, a chip on his shoulder from that, and I think Doug Marone probably agreed with me at the time because he signed Kyle Orton off the street <laughs> eventually uh, to come in and take the job. The Panthers game, his his rookie year, the second. There was that close game against the Patriots to start the season that the, the Bills lost. And then there's a Panthers game in Week 2, which was also close, but EJ came out and had a touchdown to uh, Stevie Johnson at the end of the game. Right before that, it was picked off by Luke Keekley. He got called back by some penalty. And I think I wrote a column saying it wasn't the greatest game for EJ Manuel. He was doing some things that should be alarming, even though they won the game. You know, They were pretty close to have, lose, to have lost it on a, an interception. And fans were just... Absolutely all over me for that one. You know, again, it's the excitement of the rookie quarterback, and you know, it's a September day, and everybody's lubricated down in the Ralph, and um, they're all excited about DJ Manuel. And just again, it's it's a cautionary tale, I think, for present day. When I, I think Josh Allen had a much better rookie season than DJ Manuel, or at least a better rookie season. Yes, but. <laughs> it's not statistically they're not much, that much different, right? It's it, not, passing but, but the ball. He, he looked more like a quarterback. Right. He looked more like a leader but, uh, in in some ways. And, and but but I got the same. There's a ahead. lot of unanswered yeah. questions, right. and there, I think how's we need the quarterback to supposed to look? Keep history in mind that things can always change. In three or four years from now, we might be looking at Josh Allen the same way we're looking at EJ now. That could happen. I, I but but I got the same thing for for EJ's first preseason game. His first preseason game was against Indy. The offense did nothing for like the first five drives mm-hmm. of the first half, and then he drives them for a touchdown with, as time runs out in the first half, and they score. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, all I all I said was I would have liked to have seen that first you know, that last drive as the first drive as opposed to being the last drive of the half against you know in in, in the first preseason game. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! But no, I, I get what you're you saying. But right, it's there were there there were there were there were red flags right. 
from oh, the beginning. From what we saw from EJ in practice from the beginning of uh, of his first practice to essentially the end of his career. Yeah. There were red flags there, and he never corrected those things. I like dealing with EJ. But, He's a nice guy. But he wasn't. The problem was Buddy Nix backed the Bills into a corner by saying we need to draft a quarterback. Doug Marone, you know, then they released Ryan Fitzpatrick, and now they're stuck with a very bad quarterback class in which nobody performed. Yeah. All right, we're going to have to take a break. We can come back with some more EJ Manuel memories. Yeah, you want to phone in and give us yours? Do you? I'm talking to you, listener. It's puny. That's funny. It's puny, was that? That's Yurden. Joe Yurden, right? Oh, yeah. It's puny. That is Joe. <laughs> Sabres and Bills talk coming up. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Looking at a photo of the media contingent out at uh, the news conference Jason Botterill held at mm. the arena mm. to talk about new Sabres coach Ralph Kruger. And not in the photo is John War of the Associated Press. That's correct. But he's here on the Tim Graham Show. Is currently unavailable. How about this? The guy doesn't go to a news conference, but he shows up here on the Tim Graham Show here in the Sports Radio 1270 The Fan Studios. You're going to give me credit? Dig it. Ooh. You don't go to hockey news conferences. No, I, was, I wasn't at Bill's rookie camp nope. on Friday. That's here. true. Neither was I. Good. Mike Rodak of ESPN.com is loafing <laughs> on the job. Joe I, was, I was committed to coming coming to this thing. I wasn't right. committed to... They... I don't know if I'll be here next week, though. Oh, Probably for the better. Why? What's next week? I need to watch the kiddo. Oh, right. You're a father. Right. Bring him here. That's what I was yeah, saying. bring him in. Not the worst idea. Bobby's got peanut butter for him. Yeah, and vape. I'm sure that will yeah, you know, I, I go got, over well I got his... kids-friendly flavors. Yeah? Yeah. What, we, what are I've we vaping today? I've always heard that seven-week-old loves seven-week... Seven-week-old? Seven-week-old. Trying to know where... The no, there's no S. There. There's no S. Seven-week-olds love nicotine. Yeah, and uh, strawberry banana. Prickly That's berry. why they're trying it. No, the, today it's um, cherry limeade. It's, uh, it's okay. Anyway, it's a little gross. Sorry. What were we saying? Sorry, Tim. He was going to introduce the panel. <laughs> I think we just did. John War of the Associated <laughs> Press. I mentioned Jonah. Jonah, what do we? Uh, John Beeline going to the Cavs. What was your initial reaction when you learned of this? I was surprised at first. It wasn't something I think anybody really saw coming, especially there were reports of the Cavs interviewing a bunch of different NBA assistants and nothing really leaked out about any rumored interest in John Beeline. But he had talked to NBA teams last year, the Detroit Pistons specifically, and it seemed like a move that he's been contemplating for a little while now and, and something that at age 66 he wanted to do before it was too late in his career. This is the cynic in me, and I'm sure he wants to win, and of course he's not getting into this just for the hell of it, but this is a cash-out type thing where he can coach for a few years, see how he handles the NBA, and then when when he's done with that, retire and watch his son 
whether he's still at Niagara or the rest of his family, he can hang out with the beelines and, and see how, how they do in their careers. Enjoy retirement. I think in a way it's a walking away from the aspects of college basketball that aren't coaching, recruiting, and being – He's none. He's known as such a bastion of doing it right, though. That but it's got to be that, hard to compete if not if you're the only one, or, or a lot of your competitors aren't doing it the right way, or there maybe there's pressure to bend some rules or toe some lines that a coach gets tired of. And I, I think it, it had been reported by different national writers on the, that players leaving early for the NBA was something he was struggling with, not having time to develop players and develop a team. And college basketball has become Maybe it always was, but it really is a, a development league for the NBA right now. And so why would you continue coaching in the development league for the NBA if you have an opportunity to coach in the NBA? And I think people say, why would you leave college? I think there's only one coach, maybe two, in college basketball that wouldn't leave for the right NBA job. It's Tom Izzo turned on the Cavs before, but he said he was pretty close to taking it. Mike Krzyzewski has been consistent not going to the NBA. And John Calipari went to the NBA and now seems – resistant about doing it again but his name always pops up it still could happen well i think that's a good uh it's good to have your options especially if you're trying to milk the university for a little extra money so i don't think that any any coach is going to close it off except for somebody like a mike shashevsky you just know he's not going anywhere but um so the success rate of college coaches and there have been high profile ones going back to well forever but you think of uh, Jerry Tarkanian and the San Antonio Spurs or Rick Pitino or John Calipari. There's been guys dotted throughout. But I, who's the standard now? Is it is it uh, Stevens? Stevens? Is it Brad Stevens Brad with Stevens Boston? Brad Stevens done pretty well with, with a little bit of a downturn this past season. Billy I mean, Donovan? Larry Brown won yeah. uh NBA championship, right. and he coached in the NBA, but he was – a college coach at UCLA and Kansas before that. I, I think he coached in the ABA before college. Such a vagabond he is, too. Oh, so yeah. it was like he's bounced up and down and gone all around. But anyways, I, but still, you can do it. Yeah. Uh, and there there been ones with medium success. Billy Donovan, I would say, hasn't really fallen in his face in Oklahoma, but might not be working out. They haven't done very well in the playoffs. I don't know if it's his fault or not. The thing with the NBA is, as much as maybe a coach like John Beeline wants to get away from the burden of recruiting, there might be a point in time where he wishes he could recruit some players on a team. Right. It, it can be harder to build a roster, especially starting from scratch. But the NBA, in some ways, is still about recruiting. I mean, you're recruiting a Kyrie or an Anthony Davis or Durant. Like, But the head the coach works. doesn't have much control over that. It's that, usually that the above. city. It's really and of stars course, recruiting the other stars. Yeah. It's, right, that's it's not it's not always a city because I mean Golden State was no one wanted to play in Golden State. True, and the Clippers, I mean they've had trouble. Of course, you know you, you going to the Lakers is not the same as going to the Clippers, right. even though they play in the same place. But um, but there's so much more that the coach really doesn't have anything to do with. In fact, it's it, it might be the opposite in that you can go someplace and pick your coach. Right, you can go somewhere and say, uh, like LeBron James is doing right. in, with the Lakers right now. He's like, I'm going to be in control of picking the coach as opposed to vice versa. It's a lot different, though. Is it a lot different though from you know Jerry Sloan being successful in Salt Lake City, you know, with Malone and Stockton and those guys? Um, has the game changed that much? Where it's not that these guys went to play in Salt Lake City, but they enjoyed playing in Salt Lake City because of 
because of Sloan. Well, it's because they drafted Stockton and Malone. Right. And once you have that nucleus, then you can people will want to go play for but can the same with those thing work, guys. Can the same thing work for Beeline if 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 they draft the right? Sure, players. they're going to have to draft right. You know, and uh, well, they got the number five pick. They took Colin, Colin Sexton, Sexton last year, who's a, looks like he's going to be a pretty good player. They need a lot more. I think it's interesting to see whether it works or not, how it works, whether John Beeline will have the same success. He's built up every program he's coached before. He has this vaunted two-guard offense that you know everybody respects and, and believes that he's one of the best tacticians in basketball. Will that translate over to the NBA, or is the NBA game different in such ways that he has to coach differently or won't be able to adapt to that? I, th- I think he will be. And then from the standpoint of Western New York, basketball fans don't have a lot of rooting interest in teams, and now you got Cleveland, which is only three hours away with the Niagara County native coaching, who's very popular here. His son's coaching at Niagara, has other family in the area. Will that make the Cavs a little bit of an adopted team here? I got another – oh, yeah. No, I was just I – was, I, was I think if they're that good, that would happen, and if they're not good, I don't know if that would really happen. I know there's people close to the beelines in Niagara County that are going to be driving back and forth to a tons of games. It seems to be- Buffalo's mostly adopted, whether it's the Warriors or the t- the, the, the chic pick, uh, team, team of the time or, or Toronto. I just don't feel that Buffalo's really adopted anything Buffalo, as far as the NBA What goes. I would say is it hasn't really taken on the Raptors as being a semi-local team. There's still that Buffalo versus Toronto well, and the, wall. The Raptors aren't on TV here. Right. Uh, I think when they first started in the they early 90s, they played here. some. Yeah, they would yeah. come here, play some preseason games here. They don't do that anymore. I think if Local fans have a favorite team. If it's not the hot national team, it's the Knicks or the Nets because they're on Yes right. and MSG and television every right. night. What about Nate Oates? Had Nate Oates stayed at UB, would he be a can? Do you think he'd be a candidate for the Michigan job? Yeah, I do, and I think he'd be near the top of the list. Mm. I was thinking, yeah, fascinating to think about. It is interesting how it worked out. I do think Nate Oates is in a good spot in Alabama with a very large athletic budget, and an opportunity where they can provide him from a resources and support standpoint anything he needs. And if they win, because they haven't really won much at Alabama lately, it looks like he built the program up. We're following Beeline, who was in the national title game last year at Michigan, is a much harder job. It's harder to win in the Big Ten than it is the SEC. But going well, to Michigan, I mean, no, the Oates, 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 I mean, Oates, Oates always talked about Michigan and the ties that yeah, they had to Michigan. Right. And I do think if the Michigan job was open, he would have. That was a dream job for him. Right. Or someplace in Wisconsin. Yeah. But I also think, I don't think he's really kicking himself that now he's at Alabama. It's probably like Brandon Bean. Remember how the Panthers job came open right after he got hired here? But then you kind of realize that. Maybe you have it pretty good where you are. That's, I think he has it pretty good in the SEC. I mean, you're. That just, was a strange situation though, too. There was the, you know, the wrinkle that Jerry Richardson right. has to sell had to sell right. the team. So not like Michigan's, you know, the Panthers by any means, but right. Well, yeah, I, I'm sure Brandon Bean. You know, I don't think he's waking up every morning and saying, "Oh, I wish I was the Panthers GM." And I'm guessing Nate Oates is still very much excited because right. it's new. And at the facilities are off the charts, right. and you know, so yeah, he's still he's probably focused on that. Six hundred million dollars, but the, I the I think years. that raised an eyebrow when he you know checked out his Twitter or whatever and saw oh oh oh, oh I'll bet it's and it's 
so I guess UB shouldn't. Uh, and the other the other part of it too to circle it back around to Western New York is that UB felt slighted that he would have gone to Alabama like he did after signing the extension. Uh, imagine how jilted they'd feel if they then right waited now. this long and, yes, <laughs> and right. then he goes right. after oh, Beeline's job. It would have been a a worse situation. It would have been a lot harder to catch up in recruiting, which Jim Whitesell's been able to do a decent job of since taking over. Had Nate Oates been named the Michigan coach today and they lost the whole recruiting class that they had now, they're very late in the game to try to replace those players. What are you hearing about uh, recruiting at UB and what they're up to? Well, they've signed three guys. Uh, they got a junior college wing, David Nickelberry, a 6'10 big man, David Skogman, and a 6'4 guard, Savion Gilliam. They've all in the last couple weeks. And all of them seem about on the level with the recruits that they lost. Now, they had five recruits of that caliber. Now they only have three, two open scholarships. So it's, you couldn't quite say they got the same class yet. We'd have to see what they do with those two scholarships. They might roll them over. They might turn into transfers down the line. But I do think they kept it rolling, and there's a lot less consternation from the UB fans about, oh, we lost our recruiting class with Nate Oates. We're never going to be that good again. There was some anxiety of whether or not White Cell was going to be able to recruit. Right, right, yeah. And I still think I, one thing, though, that's got a little loss is because they had to rebuild this recruiting class, they could be behind on next year's recruiting class which is why keeping a scholarship or two open could be a good way to go about that because they, they might need a little bit more quantity in that next class. And that still remains to be seen if they can recruit quite on the same level that Oates and Brian Hodgson had before they left. But the early returns, you know, if you look at the stars, I, I struggling to remember who was who, but they're the same kind of level of where they're rated as a junior college player compared to the guys they had before, high school stars and things like that. It does seem like they're fishing in the same pond. All right. It's a good rundown of what's going on with college hoops, both at Michigan, which you would think really isn't going to affect uh, any of the, no ripples in the, in the western New York pond other than local interest that it was John Beeline well, and he's from New Fame. One but, thing, and I don't think it plays out this way, but I think it was Mike DeCourcy with the Sporting News, if that's where he still is, had listed Mark Schmidt as a possible candidate at Michigan. Oh, sure. I don't know. I think there'll be a lot of sitting head coaches that'll probably get considered before that. Ward Manuel being the AD there, former Buffalo athletic director. You know, he was at UConn. He has ties to a lot of different coaches. But I do think Mark Schmidt's a guy who deserves a look from a, right. a school of that caliber and has done a really good job at Bonaventure, which is a difficult place to recruit to. But I don't know if the Michigan job right now is the right fit for that yeah, move. You may need a, a step in between somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I don't think he's got it, but that's the problem. Right. And and it, it's too bad that Mark that Mark Spitt keeps getting overlooked for these jobs, but you know, there's some jobs that he deserves to be moving up. Um, I don't think he'd be a bad fit for Michigan, but um, – I just don't think it just sells. He just seems it a just better doesn't... fit in like the Big East, right. New England area where his recruiting ties are, and because Michigan is a big job now. And I'm not to say well, Mark Schmidt's Beeline... not big enough for that, but they're they're going to be going for the biggest name they can get. Right, but how was Beeline received? No one, not, not a lot of people knew who Beeline was, John Beeline was, when he got to Michigan. And he had to, done to, pretty to well. He'd gone extent. to a Final Four with West Virginia. Right. 
And or I think he did. It might, but might Michigan, have been the Michigan eight, but. was a struggling program when he took it over, and it got it, yeah. it, got, it was still bad. Michigan he, was a job where people thought you couldn't win, that it was too much of a football school, the facilities weren't great, and there's still some of that there. Right. But the success that Beeline had going to the national title game twice, I think, would ease some of the doubts that a coach might have had 12 years ago going into it now. You can win there. You can compete with Michigan State for recruits, which is what they thought 12 years ago. Although, Beeline won without really beating Michigan State on the recruiting trail in Detroit and stuff like that. But I I think it's a job that a lot of coaches will leave their current job for if they had the opportunity. Well, sure, but Schmidt's done more with less at Bonham. Right. I'm surprised Mark Schmidt hasn't been brought... You know, UCLA was scouring the country and getting turned down or not unable to sign any coach they wanted. I was a little surprised that Mark Schmidt didn't get maybe a little bit of secondary consideration for something like that, or really any of these jobs. All right, when we come back, uh, final thoughts on the Bills, on the Sabres. You know what we haven't talked about? We haven't talked about the conference finals in the National Hockey League. Have we talked about the NBA draft lottery? Yes, we did. Did we? Yes. We sure did, Mike. Well, I'll have to listen to the podcast on that one. He must have tuned out then. Oh, we did. We did. You're right. I'm sorry. No, we were listening. Maybe not. We were talking about it. I'll just stop talking. Let's go to break. We didn't talk about the Jets. That's right. Mike McCagnan being fired. Replacements fan. Yeah, who isn't? Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. It's just like a rummage sale under a roof. Welcome. Jim Brown's still a free agent. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan here in studio with co-host Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Affiliated Enterprises is here. Bobby Rosati, Diddlin' the Knobs, and John Warrow of the Associated Press has been in studio the full two hours. Present. Loser. I got nothing else. I know. Tell me about it. On his day off, no less. Vacation. Vacation time. That's what I do on my vacation. Let's reset Ralph Kruger, head coach of the Buffalo Sabres. How do we expect the fan base to handle Ralph Kruger? Does he have to win right away? Will the fan base be patient enough to give him time after they've been through the tank season and... He said it's not a rebuild. Ted Nolan and Dan Bilesma. Dan Bilesma. Ron Rolston. Yeah. And uh, and Phil Housley. Yeah. Well, you can go back even. Yeah, pre-tank. So Ron Rolston. Yeah, yeah. it's been a it's been some uninspiring. 
coaching no. candidates, but they haven't had a lot of talent to deal with either. Well, Denver, so how much? So how yeah. much rope does Ralph Kruger get? I think he he has to get some rope, but I think I'm talking about in the court of public opinion. In the court of pub, public opinion. No, I, okay, I get that. Um, I don't know how this team can underperform worse than it did down the stretch last year, or worse than it did when it finished 31st. So automatically, he doesn't need a 10 game win streak in November. This team just just needs to show some some identity, which is this this team has lacked any semblance of identity. During, if you go back, maybe Bilesma had some something going there, but for the most part, there's been nothing. It's been Dullsville. Going, the Sabers are just nothing. There's no identity there, um, and I think that if if he can just start building that, <laughs> what's so funny? The imagery like they are nothing. They are dirt. I agree <laughs> with it. You covered more games. I than just I like I, I for me. I mean, I, were I the enjoy Sabres exciting to watch. No, they're not. They, well, they they're... were when they were winning. Sure, and it's... that was. And there were exciting moments with Eichel and Skinner, but down the stretch, when you covered them more in the second half of the season, there was very little excitement. There's been very little excitement for about four or five years there. It's a morgue. I I agree with everything you're saying. I just love, like, the... The thought of it—it's like they are nothing. Well, because Tim and I remember when the, when when we went to a Sabres game. You're talking about writing about the 2006 season. When you went to the arena, there was a buzz. There was right. electric peep. This was an event. You know, here it's going on morgue, and yeah. it reflects the team. And so, to get back to your question, they need to start establishing an identity, and let's see what what he can do. So, I think there is can. Can they do worse? I don't know. And that's that's what this team is now being it's judged upon. The motto of the 2019-2020 Sabre season. Can like, we do worse? You know, can they do worse? Can we lower the bar? <laughs> right. Can't be worse, right? It can be worse. It, it absolutely could. can be worse. But there was, I was reading the reactions to his hiring on Twitter today. You, you know, click on, well, there was McKenzie's or the Sabres tweets, and that's what fans were saying. Oh, you know, I'm sure they'll be better. Can't get much worse than last year. You can. You certainly can. Not much. But you can. Yeah, they could lose Skinner. Imagine how much worse they were if if, if, without the Skinner trade. I have no problem losing Skinner. Which is interesting because I've always had that thought. Not to be that guy, but like I've been saying that for months. And and Sabres fans have always been dead set. Like, they got to keep Skinner. It would be a crime if they let him go. Botterill should be fired if they let him go. Why? He had one goal, two goals in the last, like, 22 games. I'm just saying there's no point overpaying for Skinner. I mean, you, there, there's going to be enough free agents out there that you can rebuild this team. I, sure, losing Skinner is going to be a huge PR blow, but I, but Botterill would have to have some kind of a backup plan. This is where we find out if Botterill is a GM. How does he handle the, the Skinner signing and how what the fallout might be one way or another is where we see where we see Jason Botterill perform and whether he can be the so-called what do what Brandon Bean has done so quickly so quickly with the Bills. Yeah, and this is where Ralph Kruger comes into play and I think that unlike we were talking about the recruiting aspect in the NBA, it's much different in hockey. And I think that the coach does play a little bit of a role. Uh, certainly it can hurt you uh, if you have a coach that is a dial tone if nobody wants to play. But Ralph Kruger's an unknown quantity for a lot of people in hockey. Right. I know we had Thomas Vanek in, and Thomas Vanek played for him, and there are going to be some players out there. But there are a lot of guys that are like, what? what is this outside-the-box coach all about? And it may take Ralph Kruger 
getting in the same room during the recruiting process of free agency. And like Thomas Vanek said, it takes only one meeting with this guy for him to win you over of in terms of his credentials, right. his bona fides. And if he's able to do that and you get him in a situation where he's uh, talking to free agents, uh, candidate guys who might be interested in coming to the Sabres, then maybe he's a deal closer. In that regard. So here's my question. What about I don't know. The, what about Maybe. the opposite? I'm just saying, it's possible. What if we get, I don't know, halfway through this upcoming season and it's clear that Jack Eichel has tuned him out, Sam Reinhart's tuned him out, the same way that they seem to have tuned out Phil Housley yeah, you and don't Dan wanna, Bilesma. You don't want to think that's the case, Mike, but they have well, kind of run off, for lack of a better phrase. They have they have failed to absorb or embrace their co- the last two coaches. But then w- what do you do then? Do you say, do we get rid of uh, Freddie, Ralph, David? Ralph. Ralph, Ralph Kruger. <laughs> David Kruger. Who's David Kruger? At this point, it's not the coach, and it is the players to a yeah. certain extent. You know, and, but then what do you and, do? Do you get rid of well, Michael? Well, but I don't know. if, if, if I, and, and I believe that Jack Eichel is, is truly an ultra-competitive guy, and I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure how much of a, a big of the. the mat- he needs to mature. He needs to keep maturing as as he has been. But you have to have some semblance of self respect if you're on this team and you're busy changing coaches. I mean, at what point? And in a, a large part, this falls on the players too. So this would be year five for Eichel. Again, what if it doesn't go according to plan this year? Is it well, Eichel who goes, least, or is at, it Kruger? At the very least, I would hope that Kruger is able to to, to develop the youngsters, Casey Middlestat to begin with, who was like a deer in the headlights half the time for most of the season last year. Continue Rasmus Dahlin's progress and see what these guys from Rochester can do. Um, so you start building through there, and if this guy is supposed to be all that as a developer, as a motivator, then at least you've got the young guy, young players coming up and getting developed. That's what that's what people need to see. And would that make Eichel expendable in that case? Well, why are we going to this? Because that's that's where I feel like. But that's where I feel like this is. Right. That's where it's gone. The says, last couple. How could this blow coaches. up? And how much fun will it be to watch it burn? But I'm saying this, <laughs> this is reaction to everything. But this is what's happened. Like but, it's gotten to the point where it's, it's like it's, Eichel it's or the coach. Eichel, Eichel or the it's coach. It's not. It's it's less Eichel than it is other guys that are around that that that. The leadership core isn't there. I thought it was Patrick Kane who was a problem. Then it was it was. Uh, it wasn't Patrick Kane. It's never it was been Patrick Kane. It was O'Reilly. Who, it was not Patrick Kane. 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 Yeah. So please. It was so let, Before Kane. you start going on, I'm to not going to blame him. I've been call, I've, I've been talking about Paul Kruger all day. <laughs> right. I get I'm not going to. But it was Evander Kane. Then it was Ryan O'Reilly. Now it's like. Well, I I, I do know. I fault. We'll see about Ryan O'Reilly. I understand. There's there's, there's two. There's two things. There's two bases on Ryan O'Reilly. I don't think he should have been traded for, but I also think he should have been traded. It's that's that, that's a tough one. We'll see how Ryan O'Reilly proceeds beyond this season. I just want to know, like, at what point does Jack Eichel stop becoming? He's, he got 80 points this year. He's the but not not because of the the on ice stuff, but just because of what has seemed to be out there about him and coaches that it doesn't really work. With, hasn't worked the last two coaches, well, and think, maybe I'm overstating yes, but, what's happened but, with Housley. But but, but Bilesman and Housley are two different things. They, right. they tuned out Housley because everybody tuned out Housley. Housley called the team soft, and they went off and proved it. Good for him. If this doesn't work out, this coaching hire, do you think Jason Byrle gets to make another one? Ooh, good question. I, I, I get that. I believe that they have two years. That they have two years, and the Bagulas do not want to – 
do not want to make another change, but I believe that this this tandem has two years to develop. I don't believe the Pagulas wanted to make the change with Housley. Housley. No. Bottled now, it either. And it's not to say that somebody circumvented it or anything like that. I think they were forced. They knew they had to. And the team just, again, dial tone down the, down the stretch. They had no choice. I think if that team would have shown any sign of life, right. Phil Housley's back. I agree. Because they did not want to make a change. I think that there is, they didn't want to get into this cycle of just constantly replacing, but here we are. But they won the last game of the season. They were playing for their coach to, you know, because, you know, that really matters the last game of the season when you're just tanked the last couple of months. I don't think it did, Mike. That's my sarcasm. <laughs> Thank you, you think- for picking up on it. <laughs> it's a fine tuned machine. Do you think the player, yeah. Do you think the players were really playing for their coach? In well, that they one? won back to back games. No, but that's for what the they time. were saying. That's right. That's the back to back games, Mike. It's not just that's winning what the last it was. Game, they won, they won their last two games. They beat Ottawa and Detroit. They got two off the schneid. We should ask Thomas Vanek about that. That's a great right. word, by the way, schneid. Well, he I don't play. like it. He really? Was hurt. He didn't I don't, play in that game. That's probably why Detroit lost. I don't like the word schneid because that's the only time you hear it used. Right. And because Chris schneid. Berman loved, he always talked about the schneid. S-C-H-N-E-I-D? Sure. I'm sure you've written it because you love it so much. And I don't think I've ever written it. Well, a bit of a Yiddish word. Is it? Mm-hmm. Just a skosh. I want to thank my guest, John War of the Associated Press, for being in studio for the full two hours. Thank you. I want to thank Thomas Vanek for joining me on the phone from Minnesota, where he gave us his thoughts on Ralph Kruger and uh, how much he knows about baseball. (laughs) And among other things, and Lindy Ruff and the 06 Eastern Conference Finals team. I want to thank Bobby Rosati for producing a hell of a show. New music. He's been bringing us new music every week. He had a phone call. He had audio that he had to pull. Uh, Lindy Ruff for giving his thoughts on Ralph Kruger. Jonah Bronstein for giving uh, his insight on the NBA. Is this the Flowbots? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Nate Oates. I can ride on my bike with no handlebars. Yes. Great tune, man. It's a great one. Rodak, every me, every imitation Rodak does. Like it's good to be I know. The same one. It's all the like, same thing. He's just the same. Look, Fat Albert. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. See, that's it. Everybody is, that's his one imitation. Do Emmanuel Lewis. Same thing. I have no idea who that is. There we go. Do what about Emmanuel Macron? Yeah, do EJ Manuel. It's been a while since I've heard him. I'm not a good imitations guy. We know. So please don't that's tell me to point. do it. Should do Tyrod. Cole Beasley. I, to, I really talk to Cole Beasley too much. Or ever listen to him, I should say. Tyrod, that'll be a good one. It's like that <laughs> low whisper in like the back of the throat. Yeah, but he doesn't he doesn't quite have a lot of baritone in it. Yeah, it's kind of all the high end of it of the voice. Yeah, we had a great practice today. That's ESPN.com's Mike Rodak. Master of voices. <laughs> Master of questions. Did rich, I ever ask you to do voices on Sports Little? The Rich Certainly Little not. of Western New York. He doesn't know who Rich Little is. No I idea. No. Canadian, by the way. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week on The Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Hey, all, hey, all, beavers. <laughs>